0: Everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions, capital raising, joint ventures, strategic alliances, real estate, affiliate and sponsorship deals, and more, including smaller deals that you can do without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for over 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest Podcast. Let's get started. So many people quit their jobs to become their own boss and end up being a slave to their business. Kevin Sandsfield's dad walked away from a very high-paying job to buy a business from a stranger in a pub, which ended up consuming his life. When Kevin lost his dad to that business, he made the promise to himself that he would save others from making the same mistake. As the financial director of several large companies, he realized that business isn't personal, And growth should be fun, not stressful. He helped grow one company from 2 million to 36 million pounds, another company from over from startup to over 400 employees, and helped another scale rapidly, which sold for 15 million pounds. For the past 16 years, Kevin has worked with over 300 business owners to get them working less and earning more. He's also written three books on how to play the game of business better than you ever thought it could that you could play it. Kevin, welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Great to be here,
1: Corey. Pretty so looking forward to
0: the time. Yeah, I love I love that uh, that bio that introduction around the entrepreneurial community, but uh, in in entrepreneurs organization, for example, where I've been a member forever. Books like Michael Gerber's classic book, uh, it's a bible uh, around working on your business, not in your business. And we talk about this concept all the time. And a lot of people really talk about that just in terms of you know how their life is and how the business serves them, but it also affects deals. So, I want to get into all that. But before we go there, and before we go to the deals you've been personally involved in and how you coach and help clients, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because although we have some of your origin story there, you know, about your father, I, I had a sense maybe that was a little later
1: in life. When you were younger, what did you want to be growing up? I think as a kid, I had the I want to be a football player. I think get a soccer as it is over with you. And I think that sort of runs out when you move into high school and realize that there's bigger boys yeah. that are faster, quicker and want it more than you do. So I think back then it was a case of there wasn't really an entrepreneurial spark. I'm not saying that I was one of the kids that started businesses. I had friends that had paper rounds, but none of that really interested me at the time. So I think I was pretty good at maths and science, yep. and got to a point where I was going to either be a scientist or go into accountancy. My father was an accountant, and it was you know, a fairly dull story, really, following your father's footsteps. But I did think of chemistry, and we've got uh, Pfizer's, the big pharmaceutical company, was just down the road from us, so... That's really where I was aiming. I thought I'll, I'll branch out and do something in the in the uh, sort of farmer world. So I wish i have gone into. I still look back and think, yeah, I should perhaps I should have pursued that one. But it came down to my A levels, so my high level exams, and I said whichever one I do best in, I will pursue that career. Okay. And, and bizarrely, I did extremely well in my fi- in my finance, in my maths, and I messed up my chemistry. And so over one paper, I think my life would have been in a completely different world. I might have been the guy that found the cure for COVID. You never know. Leave that to somebody else. I
0: love it. And one more question looking back. What was the first deal of any type that you were involved in? Could have been something small as a kid or early in your career or whatever comes to mind.
1: The deal I remember was my father buying this business. I think I was about 12 years old and... Yeah, he did buy it from a man in a pub. He was down there, he was fed up. uh, And that's what I wrote about in in my book, The Big Dipper, was he he was fed up in his well-paid job, but had great security. He was a good pension and he could have been there for the rest of his life. But he, he, he got fed up working for an idiot boss and realized that he wanted something more than just a job. And he just came in one day and said, I'm going to start a business. My mother had started a, a printing business in our front room by that stage. So I was already at the age of 12, slave labor. So I had uh, very small hands. So so it was back in the days of leaded type fonts. Yeah. So you had to choose the letters and put the letters together. And, and then it went into a, a hand press and... So with, with small little fingers, so it was my. It was good to practice my English and my spelling for that sort of thing as well. So, so I, I was aware of my dad's deal with the business. He paid a little bit upfront, and then it was a payment uh, over a period. I, I can't. I think it was a year or so. The the previous owner had to work in the business, and I think it, he lasted about three months until my dad came home and said, "This guy's just got to go. He's driving me mad." So that was my first experience of. Deals are deals, but they're more than just that point where you sign on the dotted line. There's a lot more before and there's a hell of a lot more after to make yeah. a really big deal work. So what type of business was it that you're that, that, so It was a sign company. It was, okay. I think it had been going since the war, even pre-war. And it was really old traditional where it was proper sign writing. So you had sure. artists that would draw things and, and before before the whole sort of perspex and laser came in, my dad bought one of the first laser cutters in the country. So he was at the forefront of that change of technology from old school to new school. And, and I remember him getting rid of the sign writer at the time. And it was he said, yeah, I wish I could replace all my tea with computers because they're a dance like easy to work with. <laughs> and
0: that was a while back. So I can't resist asking. The deal was cut in a pub. Uh, I, do we know
1: after how many drinks? I really don't know. My dad wasn't a big drinker, so uh, okay. I think he was fairly sober. And it was a reasonable deal. And he, he took it from small business, I guess, at the time. It was probably around about half a million. And he took it up to about, he doubled the size of it in probably about five five to seven years. But then a lot of businesses, it it, it then stagnated at that size yes. for the next 10. Yes. Uh, And that was mainly because he didn't have the vision of what a bigger business was going to be. And a couple of companies that that started at a similar time to his grew into national chains and became very big businesses. And the owners, I'm sure, made a lot of money by selling those at a later stage. But my dad fell into the trap of having a business that was a job. And, And unfortunately, after 15 years, we hit the early 90s, mid-90s recession, and his, his team weren't behind him, so they didn't really support him. The bank didn't support him, and it was like rats leaving a sinking ship, and he was just left on his own with no one to talk to. So I, didn't, I, I got into accounts at that stage, and he phoned me up one day and said, Kevin, I think I'm going to lose the business. And I, I just went, why didn't you come to me before? Why yeah. didn't you speak to me? I've got people around me now that can help. Um, but he was a proud man. He thought he'd been in business 15 years and he should know the answers and he didn't reach out for help. And that's, as you said, that's that was one of the big reasons that got me into coaching was there are so many people like my dad out there that are very good, very intelligent, great businesses, but they need help. And certainly now where we're coming to really, I think we're coming to the recession that didn't happen during COVID. This is the There's the fallout with high interest rates now and the cost of living crisis. But a lot of businesses now are finding it tough, and people need to reach out to get that support and get that help and guidance of how to restructure their businesses and, and move them forward. And first off, survive, but then to actually build them so that they can then grow and eventually to be sold. That's really again where the deals come in, not only when you're buying, but probably you've got to be more cute when you're coming to sell because you want to maximize the value of all that hard work you've put in
0: yeah and it is what what a great frame for you obviously you talked about these other companies that came into the industry when your dad's industry in the science industry and they did grow beyond that and they probably had really nice exits and of course your dad's result was very much the opposite and it's it's obviously sad and challenging for your dad but it's as a learning experience for you as it and somebody who now coaches businesses to be able to be in a position not to be dependent upon the owner and set themselves up uh, for growth and eventual enterprise value realization of a sale. It was a great life lesson.
1: Sure, it, it's. I think it was the first sign that it's not personal. Yeah, you know, while when you're in there from I mean, a dad, it was very personal. It was like losing a child. You know, all that work, all that effort, everything he's put into it. But me, for me, outside because I chosen not to go into the family business. I think mean, my dad had wanted me to go in, but there was no way I could work with him. We were in chalk and cheese. And being outside, I felt this detachment from it. So there wasn't that emotional connection to the business uh, that he had. And and that's where I think we could make those decisions that ultimately meant that he kept his house. Uh, He he lost the business, but he kept the house. He he managed to then pretty much, he he went into semi-retirement, but he had enough funds behind him to to have a reasonable lifestyle after that. And that was because we made some very quick decisions. We negotiated hard with people like the bank and creditors and suppliers and, and just treated it as a, as I said, as a game. It's a game that we're trying to win. We don't win every game. But if we lose the game, and don't sit there crying about it, and you just pick yourself up and, and move forward again. And, and that's tough for a lot of people in business, where it's it's their livelihood, it's their, their egos attached to it, their persona, everything is sort of tied into it. And sometimes you you need to have run two or three businesses to realise that it's not you. That business is not the reflection of you. It can it it needs to be let go of. And it's the same with. I don't have children myself, but a lot of people with children, at some point, you've got to let them leave and make their own way and make their own mistakes. The parents that hang on to their children for a long time don't do themselves any favors or I think don't think they do the kids any favors either.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. I, so I want to use this as an access point to go a little deeper because the people listen to this podcast know I talk about mindset all the time because being successful in business and deals in life in my mind is, it's not about, sure, the number isn't legal and the, all this other stuff is important, but if, if the mindset's not right. And you talked about a number of things that I want to talk about and, and follow through on how you work with your clients to help them avoid these pitfalls or shift, Because mm. mindset shifts are often difficult. And you talked about your dad being prideful, having pride and being that kind of person who is less likely to reach out for help. And he's certainly not alone by any yeah. means. You talked about it not being personal, but but people take it personally, especially maybe as a first-time founder. You started to open up this conversation. And for me, in the coaching that you do, we can talk about all this stuff logically, right? You can give that example of your father versus these other companies that ended up exiting and and logically, people will understand that makes sense, but that doesn't mean that they can get there. It doesn't mean that they can let go of whatever blocks or issues or lack of Trust or control issues or whatever it is for them, pride, they come mm-hmm. up. So talk to us a little bit about that experience in coaching people through that and how, how you do that successfully and, and what stands in the way.
1: I think the there's the a little formula that I use. I, I write about it back in the book and it was one that was taught to me at an early stage of coaching and it's become my sort of my mantra of fundamentals. I and mean, it's not just about business, it's about success in life, in anything. Yeah. Doesn't matter in sport, in in marriage, in in your personal life. But see, so, you know, we'd we come from a, a business context here, and it, it's a very simple formula. It's B B E times do do equals have. So who do I need to be? Yeah. What do I need to do? Equals what I want to have. Okay. So for anything in life, those three must be present. Sure. So my B is my internal, so my beliefs, so who do, you know my internal thought processes, my knowledge, my skills. The do is my actions. so what do I actually physically do and have is the goal? what do I want to achieve? And one of the first things I do with a, with a client is sit down with that formula and I say to them, out of those three things, you've got to have all three to be successful, yeah, but one of those is more important than the other two. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll do that with you. I don't think I've done this because you're not sure if you picked up on the book, Corey. So out of those three, the B, the internal thoughts, skills, and knowledge, the do, the actions, and the have, the goal, which one of those three do you think is the most important? To me, it's definitely the B. Yeah. Yeah. So the internal thoughts, the reading, the learning, to progress. I just
0: just believe that truth resides from within, and if you really get connected as entrepreneurs, I see – the tendency is to run to the do <laughs> because that's our like entrepreneurs are doers, right? We get stuffed up. We don't sit on the sidelines. And then I find a lot of people run to the do, but they don't, but they're not connected to the be to who they need to be, yeah. what they really want, to what aligns with their truth. So that, that would be my answer.
1: Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people, you're, you're right. The, the one that gets the most votes in business is the do. Yeah. You've got to do stuff. Okay. If you don't take action, you can read as much as you want. But if you don't actually take action, nothing happens. And I would it's say people, people, 100% you've yeah. got to have to do. But what that leads to is the busy fall. Yes. There, there, there is no business owner out there that I've ever seen. and An SME, you know, in corporate is different, but in an owner-managed business that is sitting there twiddling their sums. Yeah. They are busy. They they are doing 40, 50, 60 hours a week, six seven days a week that even when they're not there they're thinking about it so you can take two people my dad was a very busy guy he used to work late work weekends but he didn't have the success that other people did maybe yeah. even some people that didn't put as much effort as mm-hmm. he did. so then you'd come back and like you said it's well perhaps it's because he didn't know he didn't have the knowledge He didn't listen to other people. He didn't, back then, he wasn't reading the books or attending courses. And But he was a very intelligent man. He'd been in business for 20, 30 years before that. And what I find with those people is you see them at the seminars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 go to a seminar, they listen and they read books and they absorb this knowledge yeah, they're personal growth struggles And then judges. They, 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 and they, the next just, week they go back and they do it again. And you say, Exactly. Hang yeah. Hang on a minute. Yeah. You went to this course. He told you what to do. Where'd you apply it? Why haven't you done it?
0: It's interesting. I'm sorry. I know he does to you, but you're actually putting me through this process real time. So it's interesting to me. I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, Yeah, I remember a time when I was, in fact, the busyness thing was an identity. Like people would yeah. call yeah. me up and say, Hey, how you doing? I'd always say I'm busy. And then I realized, wait a second. That's like an identity. It's what's it's making me feel successful, and important, whatever. But of course, busyness and success and all that stuff is not is unrelated. And I am such a personal growth guy, but I do apply it. But I can see from a different point of view, and then I'll let you say what your formula is, but I, I'm doing this real time. Hmm. I get I tend to lead towards the B, but the have, it, when I look at have in terms of not just material things, but when I look at have in terms of what my ultimate goals are, what I'm shooting for, why I'm doing it. I can make an argument that it's the have that's the most important. It depends on how you frame it, right? For me, I think truth resides from within. So I go within to try to get to that truth of what I want. But ultimately, the question is, what is my vision, right? What am I trying to achieve? What was the impact I want to have? So I could argue from that point of view that it's the have. In any case, I will let you say what you think
1: it is now. But I, I just wanted you, to- you, you did, Yeah, when, when you said about the, myself on you, that- you, you, yeah, There's a few of the words you use there about, you yeah, know, that- you know, I need to find my own purpose. And and that's, it, it's, look, these things are all intertwined. There's, there's exactly. no be separate, do separate, have set. Yes, exactly. They are all interlinked. But the people, when you look at success, they have got such a clear picture of what success is to yes. them. I'm not saying it's right or not, okay? Right. But they've, they've got a clear picture of what success is. They're, therefore, they be more and they do more. So, so it's the have that we need to start with because that drives the be and the do. Yeah. And and when I find, and that's where my, my dad and, and so many business owners, and I, and I did a study a few years back now, I'm sure it's still relevant, In this was in the United Kingdom, of all the corporates, the limited companies that are sort of currently in existence. How many of those are over- $1 million revenue, $1 million pound revenue, and therefore employ more than 10 people. Right? My simple maths is 10 people equals a million in turnover. And so I, I pulled from Companies House, where every company has to be registered. I pull every single company off that. I did a lovely little spreadsheet. I did the maths, and it came to 98% of companies are less than a million turnover. Yes, and when when you look at that, and then you realise the big corporates, the big ones, are, are probably point zero zero one percent, right, right, of companies. So what is it that's stopping those businesses from getting from a million into the multi millions? And that's when I came back to my father. Was he bought this business from around about half a million? It took him about five years to double the size of it into a. On, on the verge of this sort of what could have been a bigger business. And then he stopped. Yes. And why did he stop? And I can't ask him now. And he, he probably, you probably wouldn't even know why he stopped because most people don't know. He stopped because he got to his comfort zone. Yes. He got to a point where he was earning as much money and probably a little bit more money than he was when he had a job. He had the perceived freedom to do whatever he wanted to do, although... He never had more than a week's holiday and had to work weekends and long hours. So you could argue he didn't have any freedom, but they say an entrepreneur is somebody that would rather work 80 hours a week for themselves and 40 hours a week for somebody else. But he didn't have that vision of turning that million pound business into a 10 million pound business because he'd never done it. He'd worked for a, I don't know, what was a hundred million pound business, but he was a small cog. In that big business, now he was the big cog in his own machine, but he hadn't got the knowledge or the experience to be or the or to do because he didn't have the goal. If he if he'd said, "I want to be a ten million pound business in the next five years," yes. then he would have gone out and got the be and he would have done what it took. It wasn't the lack of effort; it was just the fact that he was running around his hamster wheel and he wasn't getting any further any further forward, and that's why. When you get to that point after another 10 years, you, you're a bit exhausted, you've lost sight of what's going on around you, and at a million, you're always vulnerable. you have a team of five people, one person leaves, that's 20% of your workforce has just walked out the door. Yep. And this this is why in, in deals, when we're buying businesses, you know, the, the value the multipliers for valuations are so low because the risk is so high. But a plc with a thousand employees. Would lose 100 employees and it would have no impact on on their output. Maybe in one department it would. So that's the bit that when I start with a client is what is the have? Why are you in business? What is the goal here? What do you want to achieve? What does, and I I don't call it retirement anymore because I used to say to people, when do you want to retire? I don't want to retire. Retirement is when you start dying. Okay. So I've changed the language into when do you want financial freedom? Yes. When do you want the point where you've got enough money invested in assets, not in your business, because your business is always risky? The government, I've got one client who phoned me last week to say, Google have just updated their algorithm. It's just destroyed my website. Yeah. My business has just gone overnight, just disappeared because Google did something. I've got another one that takes all their money through PayPal. PayPal fell out with them, froze their bank account no money. So all business is risky. So therefore, you can't rely on that into your as financial freedom. You need to invest in stocks and shares in the big, big companies into property, or you've got to mitigate your risk over smaller businesses and have a number of So once you know what that figure is, and it's quite scary, because in, in the UK, and it's probably a little bit more in the, in, in the US, if you want a, a passive income of fifty thousand pounds a year, yeah, you're going to need around about a million pound invested in assets. Right. So, how are you going to sell your business for a million pounds? Because at the moment, it's you two people who could walk out the door tomorrow and basically start up and do what you're doing. So once once you get their mind into the have. Then they go, ah, so I'm going to need to grow. So I don't know how to grow from a million to five million. Okay, now you need to learn. Now you need the skills or you need to employ the people who have got the skills to get you to where you want to be. So then all the pieces of the puzzle fill into that. And I kin it to a jigsaw, a jigsaw puzzle. So if I gave you a jigsaw puzzle and I just dumped all the pieces of the jigsaw in front of you, so just imagine they're on, on, on the table there, What's the first thing that you would need me to provide you to help you with that jigsaw puzzle?
0: The picture of what
1: it's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but how many people will just start turning bits of puzzle over and go, "Oh, yeah, perhaps oh, there's a few bits of blue that go together." Unless you see the picture, there is. How are you going to do this? And then once you've got the picture, what are the next things you need? What where would you start next?
0: Yeah, I would. I would try to. I, if it's a real, if we're talking about a real puzzle, I would start around the edges. Usually, too, because yep. you have the square. It's easy to
1: exactly. So the first thing you you want to find the four corners, don't you?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so you find the four corners of the puzzle, and then you work on the straights, and then you fill in. So for me, the the four corners of business, and every business is the same. You know, when you boil down to it, there's there's four corners that you need to identify. You have got your finance. An admin, so how do you keep score? You've got your sales and marketing, so how do you grow? You've got your operations, which is how do you deliver? And then you've got people who are going to run your business for you. So for any business, for any size, they boil down to those four fundamentals. So if you're great at employing, recruiting, retaining, motivating people, you've got a chance. Okay? Okay. If you can add to that, your sales and marketing, if you can build a great sales and marketing process that continually brings people in and keeps people, then you've got an even better chance. Yeah. If you can control the finances and make sure you don't ever run out of cash, yeah, you've got a great, you you actually do it. And then you've got the operations, which is, can you deliver a consistently great quality product and service? You get all four, you've got a business. But most business owners are probably strong in one or two of those. That's right. And that's where they need the knowledge and the skills to actually grow. In. And when we're buying businesses, what we're looking for is people who don't have those skills, that are weak in you know, at least two of those areas, because they're the ones that for us are vulnerable and that, that we know that they're fed up with running their businesses. And they just want to get out, and therefore the deals that we can have are based on emotions, not logic. You know, and, that, and that's you'll probably come onto that within deals that, oh, the majority of deals that I've ever done, and I've seen be done, they're they're eighty percent emotion, twenty percent to sums.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially on in the in the small and medium sized business realm. I'm not saying that's not true with bigger businesses, but the ratio does shift a little bit when you got. But there's always I emotion involved. People think, think on the youth deals there's no emotion involved. not true. Not true.
1: Yeah, no. It, but it's not it, – what happens then, the emotion is about ego. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot more ego at that level and about winning and it's about the person that's involved in it. Yeah. It's know, the, so, it's, so it's understand – then you've got to really understand the psychology of who the players are. And often the player that you think you're playing against is not the player. That's know, right. They're hidden one or two rows back, and really undefined what they are and who's playing the game is really important.
0: Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can tell you about an incredible resource my team and I have put together for you. Secrets of Deal-Driven Growth, Creative Ways to Grow Your Business Even in Challenging Times is a powerful ebook that helps you take DealQuest podcast episodes and apply them to your own life and business. This is the ideal tool for anyone looking for creative ways to grow as deal makers, and you can get yours now. It's as easy as heading to coreycupford.com slash workbook and downloading your copy. While you're there, you can also consider joining our dynamic, deal-driven community of founders, experts, small business owners, and entrepreneurs. Now back for the show. So let's talk a little bit about some of the deals you've been involved in. I know you've been on the buy side. I know you've worked with clients on the sell side. Anything particularly interesting that comes to to mind or is a great illustration of a lesson positive or negative some good deal stories that you can pick up
1: i think i had one so recently that it was a couple of businesses and I, i i knew both of them and so i thought i i'd get involved and it's always difficult where you're in the middle and i had to say that i'm i'm acting for both of you i want a good deal but you know i'm not we're not We're only going to do a deal if it works for both of us. This is not about getting one over. So as long as we're all happy with that, then I can act as intermediary. And the really interesting thing for that one is on paper, from where I was standing, as a logical thing, this made total sense. Yes. For both parties, it was the quickest way to achieve the have at the end of it. And there weren't that many complications in doing it. A few. But there wasn't that many. So it could have easily gone ahead. The the amounts that was involved were about right on both sides. And it was all looking good. And then the little sort of the, the warning sides start coming up. When people don't come back to you in the time frame yeah. that you expect, there's something wrong. There's when deals happen, they happen. And you you, you get this fear. or the sort of the ducks get into a line and it moves forwards and as soon as there's a block and you're chasing somebody for their decision you know that again logically fine emotionally there's a disconnect happened yes and and it was interesting with this one that, that the disconnect came back to this was a a youngish guy he was in his sort of early 40s and for him it, it was that yeah i'm pretty sure it was that fear of when i sell this business what do i do next mm that's my identity. That's my, that's my life. it has been going for 20 years, ne- never been employed elsewhere. And there was a case of, okay, I could reinvent myself and start again and do something else. But that's scary because I'm starting again, working for the person he was selling to was scary because well, I've never worked for anyone else. And what if we don't get on? And, and, that was the emotion. The emotion was that the have of once I've sold my business, what do I do was just not there. It wasn't strong enough uh, to drive him through that barrier to go forward.
0: That's such a good one. I, I do a lot of visioning work in, in my own life, right? Because I, I do, I, I always want to be called forth to something, what you call the have, right? And, and I find that the thing you mentioned about post-sale, is such a huge thing. And one of the things I try to encourage my clients and I hope there are other professionals around them try to do is I always say to them, hey, have you thought about what you're going to do Mm -hmm. after the closing or after your one-year employment contract after the closing, right? A lot of times there's a requirement as part of the deal. Somebody stays on as a lawyer, a consultant or whatever, although that's less crucial. The more you've Done what you coach people to do, and have the business be less dependent upon you. The short period of yeah. time you want you or need you around, but but any case, and a lot of times people haven't really thought about it. They're like, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll start some new. Or uh, the the ones I've had that have been most successful have had at least a decent vision, and 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 it really varies. Sometimes they're like, oh yeah, I know what my next business is. Sometimes they're like, I remember one client sold this business, very similar example. I've been 26 or 28 years building this business, walked away with 20 something million in his pocket. Um, and his clear, he, we, we joke, cause a lot of times these guys and women say that they let they're done. And then the next thing, six months or a year later, they, or two years later, they've another business because yeah. like they, they don't want to be home, doing nothing. But he was clear. He, he and his wife had this vision of uh, getting a high-end RV and going around the country for yeah. a year in, in in their RV. And then they built a house then in Ponderijo, Florida, on the beach, and he wanted to play golf. And it, it wasn't by default, oh, I'll play golf. This was like, he had a vision around this. Yeah. And despite the fact that some of us around him thought, oh, he'd probably, because he's a hardworking guy, whatever, that he probably wound up starting another business. He's been happy now for, I mean, this one's probably been about 15 years, and uh, he's doing great. So, Because he had a clear vision. So I think it's such an
1: important thing. And and if you look at that in a negotiation deal making, he sold the business for 20 million and that allowed him to go and do this. If you're on the buyer side and, and you know that, you've got a big space here 20 million, 15 million. There's 5 million you could probably play with there because there's only so much you can spend on an RV. Right. So so you can use utilize that. And sometimes we, we look at this and say, look, would you take a less amount to get this done quicker? Take a less amount and then you've got that so that you can actually go and do what you want to do. So there's always that thing, speed and amount as well. So you can play that card quite nicely when they've got a vision. If they haven't got a vision, you really want to find that as soon as possible because there's a good chance that deal is never going to happen. Yeah. Even if you offer them 25 million, well, five million more. I don't know what I do with twenty million, Let them like twenty-five. It's they can't comprehend those numbers. If this is the first time they've been there, if you've got somebody that makes a hundred million, then they'll haggle down to last cent over that because they're just they're, their mindset is geared around a completely different set of numbers. And this is what we're talking about. It's just a set of numbers. Oh, yeah. but, uh, but your story there of the RV, we had one last year, and it was exactly that, those levels. But what are you going to do once you retire? We feel like getting a little RV and, and visiting the country and seeing, because basically it's they've, they've been working in the business for 20-odd years, never had more than a week's holiday at any one time. And they just wanted to jump in an RV, so the first payment that we made them paid for a brand new RV, and off they went, and okay. uh, happy. And then they get a, a regular income coming in every month because we, sure. we're paying over installments, and that funds their their life. And yep. they're as happy as Larry, as far as I'm aware. They, <laughs> as long as we keep paying them, they're they're fine.
0: Yeah, you alluded something to, a little earlier, which I want to go back and highlight. You, you talked about the four corners of the puzzle and the four pillars mm-hmm. of right. The, the finance, the marketing, the, the operations, right? The people. And 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 then obviously you alluded to doing deals as a way to help folks get there, right? Because we see more and more deals these days acquiring expertise and talent yeah. uh, in areas that you're not, that, that, that are lacking good. Because people talk about a lot of times the build-buy decision much more so in terms of big companies and technology, right? Or processes. Do they build it internally or do they go buy a company for the tech innovation? But there's a build-by build equivalent that, especially on on small and middle market deals, is often way more important, and that is, do I try to build the team internally mm-hmm. to fill mm-hmm. the gap of where we're not strong in, in one of those four elements, or do I buy it or joint venture it or whatever, with some, some sort of
1: deal? Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on that. hundred uh, percent. Certainly in service-based businesses, of which where we are in the UK, we are very high on service. Yeah, we don't really make anything. We just—I don't know—we just keep each if we keep each other happy and keep paying each other, then <laughs> the uh, economy goes round. But we we've had a situation here, and it, it's COVID's got in the way, but certainly well before COVID, we had zero unemployment. Mm. Okay, finding finding people to do any professional service work was nine impossible. You, you put an advert in, and it was like watching the we'd go past waiting and i thought yeah and that d- led to price increases so wages were, were going up so you found that the next person you were recruiting wanted tw- 10 to 20 percent more than your current staff in effect you couldn't employ them because then you have to put all your wages up for everybody and it was really tough then obviously covid happened everything just went completely chaotic and we were expecting not coming out of COVID that the employment market would suddenly be very buoyant again. And, and that hasn't. It's starting to happen now. We're starting to see, we did an advert uh, last week and we had 95 applicants. And that's the first time I've, and it's a fairly low level job, but the first time we've had over 50 people apply for a role. I think that's a sign of, and we just, we had in our local, in the national news that, companies going bust an insolvency of, of now at a record high since 2000. So it's, but in a way we need that because there's so many people are tied up in zombie companies that are sitting there, haven't grown in 20 years. And are just absorbed, just keeping this talent and not using that talent. And so what, for growing businesses, you want to bring that talent in and then you utilize it. So yeah, buying businesses to, to acquire the talents is key. It's really interesting though that people put all the effort into the deal, pay all this money for the deal, abs- yeah, bring the company on, and then do absolutely nothing about cultural integration. Absolutely. and wonder why in in a year's time everyone that they actually took on has left. Yeah. And it's just astounding. See? I did my uh, MBA, so sort gold. Of 20 years ago now, but I, my dissertation one was on strategic human resource management, the fact that when I draw an organization chart, HR is a director-level strategic role on the board. Yes. And I did a survey of a, a number of companies and said, A, hey, have you got an HR person? 90% didn't. Yeah. Of the ones that did... I said, are they strategic? Do they sit on the board? No, we want them on the board. They'll be telling us how to run our business. <laughs> Your business is full of people. Yes, they right. should be telling you what to do. And and I've seen it so many times in mergers. There is no effort put into how do we integrate these two cultures from a new dynamic business that is full of youngsters to one that's been going for 50 years and um, full of old farts. Right. You've got to have some sort of you know, plan to actually achieve that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Having been doing what I've been doing in terms of deals for decades, yeah, I remember there was a time where that wasn't even talked about. Like it wasn't even a topic, right? Cultural integration. Yeah. Now, what's really shocking is that it's been a while. In the last ten, you know, last decade or whatever, there's been a lot of talk. Books written, all kinds of stuff on yeah. culture, on company culture, on starting just with company culture, period. But then obviously running into integrating cultures on deals. And, and with so much content out there, you would think, and, and I'm not, I, I think it is getting better, but you would think it would be much more, much better at the, it, compared to the amount of material that's out there from nothing when it wasn't even yeah. talked about, you'd think we'd be further along in the success rate of integrating cultures than we are right now. And we're not.
1: No, no, because it, it takes time. It takes a lot of effort and your people want the quick fix. i just bought that turnover that turn over to my turn over suddenly i've got a, a bigger business and the, the reality is the, that whole people thing to bring it in takes effort and yeah. I, I don't think i, I just don't think it is given enough credence at a board level that's and that again that's a good thing in a deal you're looking for the chinks in the armor and where your your leverage points are to actually bring your price down and use so we can use all of these things the fact they don't have it. And because we know that if you don't have it, your the performance of those businesses are probably lower, so therefore they're undervalued. and actually by bringing those things in, the actual increase in profitability is going to be really good. So that's another thing for the deals is we're looking for where is a quick can can we take this business? And within 12 months, put enough profitability on it to actually fund the purchase. Yeah. And if we can yeah. do that, then we know pretty much we can buy these businesses for 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 no, for no money. You know, it's uh, all, all funded and, and paid out of its own uh, improvements. That's great.
0: So we're coming to the end here. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what people to find out more about you. And then also in that, tell us a little bit more about these books you've written.
1: Yeah, so I think the to find out about me, yeah, obviously, yeah, being in the, in the UK, I've got clients now all around the world. So, beauty with Zoom, you know, is is so much easier. than It used to be sort of on the phone, okay. but so the best place really is LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm, I'm regularly posting, so you, hopefully people will see that once they're connected, and just LinkedIn, Kevin Stansfield. You can find me on there. The books, the two that are published, both on Amazon. Everyone buys books from Amazon. So The Big Dipper, and then The Big Dipper, and then Kevin Stansfield, you'll find me there. And the other one, which we didn't really get time to talk about, was uh, The Great Game, uh, how lessons from the great game of golf can help you win the great game of business. And and that was, I I wrote that in COVID because I couldn't play golf. And it was about this, and it was really, I used analogies, for sport a lot. And that whole thing of again, be do have for athletes is what why does one athlete with a certain skill set and a work ethic become successful and one with perhaps a a better skill set and a better work ethic not become successful. And for most of the time it's about that have it's the the want and the desire and that ability to keep going in the face of adversity. Too many people get to a level of comfort Go, well, this is all right. So I'll stop. I'll stop working on myself, working and improving. And the people like Tiger Woods and Roger Federer, they're just classic examples of people that good enough is never good enough. Yeah. You know, there's always another level. You're, you're only ever playing against yourself. It's not about the people around you. It's you're just trying to be the best version of you that you can. So, so that was a book I wrote about the similarities. That one's on Amazon as well. And the Big Dipper is also on Audible. So people like to listen, then the Big Dipper is on Audible. So you can just download that and stick it in the car and, and hopefully be entertained by it. Sounds great.
0: Sounds great. My final question on the podcast is always about my highest value in life, uh, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom from around the world, from world people, from oppression to why I've been an entrepreneur and have had a boss for, my, for decades.
1: Hmm. What does freedom
0: mean to you? And how does it impact your life and business?
1: I think for free, freedom is about choice. It's about choosing what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, who you want to do it with. And that was a bit of a wake-up call for me during COVID that you went from having freedom to almost having no freedom. It was suddenly you realized, hang on a minute, everything that I thought I had and was important is pretty close to, to going away. But even in there, I was lucky enough that I probably worked harder during the COVID lockdowns than I'd ever worked in my life. So I didn't have that time to 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 worry too much. But what it did say to me is yeah, I want the freedom to be able to work anywhere in the world. Yeah, I so I've bought a place in Spain. So I'm actually off there next week to spend a month in the sunshine because it's horrendous here. It's just just, it hasn't stopped raining for about two months. Yeah. And so I want to be able to play golf when I want to be able to play golf, play tennis when I want to be able to play tennis but still I want to be able to to work hard and do deals and help clients to to grow their businesses so that balance for me and and that ability to choose it's not always there I think yeah if you always had the ability to do anything you wanted to do I think life would be a bit sometimes you just got to be it's nice to wake up and know that you've got to do something because you just got to do it yes um, so you need that little bit of you, know, you need the black to make the white stand out so
0: Contrast, absolutely. Kevin, thank you so much for being a great guest on the Dealquest podcast. Been,
1: been a pleasure, Corey. yep. so thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. The deal then is a place where entrepreneurs, high- level executives, and business leaders, Come together, support each other's growth and success and share what's working best as well as what challenges we are facing right now. You will get input not only from me, but from all of our members. We collaborate and serve each other. To join us, go to coreycupfer.com slash I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.